Welcome to the world of color. A podcast about colors and everything it touches. Podcast by Radio Oedipus, Victor Bangolo, and recorded by Scott Dress. I will wait until the, <laughs> the water. I mean, we like this kind of beer sound. Huh? Beer sound? Yes, please, why not? Yeah, we like this sort of... Uh, Beer know, sounds. Beer sounds opening the bottles in the show. Usually we, we record oh, those. Really? <laughs> this puck, you know, the moment. Well right. then, uh, well, thanks Michiel Schurman for being here at yes. the World of Color. So this is yeah, the radio show about colors and artists for Uli around the world of Oulipus. And uh, really happy to have you. <laughs> and uh, well, I would like to, to start kicking off the thing with a simple question. Do you know what very peri is? Very peri. Very peri. Yeah. Do you know what it is? Is it uh, is it French? What, what language no are you talking? I have no clue if this is French. <laughs> it's it just says uh, the name is very peri. Do you know what it is? No. It sounds like something that is uh, a lot like putty. <laughs> 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 it's interesting. Well, according to Pantone, it's the color of the year. Oh <laughs> God, Pantone. <laughs> so what uh, what do you think this color is and what it's about? Uh, is that the 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 is that the the incredibly ugly color for uh, for cigarette packages? Oh, that's very precise. I cannot be sure. It's I thought that that was Pantone color last year. I think. Huh. That well, was like diarrhea green. <laughs> so far, what I know is this is the color they are promoting as the new color of this year. Uh -huh. I don't know if it will be used in cigarettes packaging, but do you think what kind of color that is? Uh, what kind of you? What, what Let's does? Let's see. I think it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, 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 orangey yellow. Uh, well, far from it. <laughs> so it is a dynamic perwinkle blue hue with a vivifying violet red undertone. That is exactly the opposite of what I was saying. Yeah. yeah. And according to them, it blends the faithfulness and constancy of blue with the energy and excitement of red. Wow. So. It is indeed a color that is in between violet and red. Uh -huh. But I read on their social post, which was interesting, they call it the warmest blue of all. Uh. So what does that make you think about this warm, the notion of blue and warm? Blue and warm? Yeah. Uh, blue being a warm color. I don't know. I am a really technical guy. So if I want to make blue warmer, I would add yellow to it. Mm -hmm. So that would make it greenish. Uh, and if you would make it, yeah, you, oh yeah, you could go to the red side. Um, yeah, blue being a warm color. I don't know. If I work with colors, I would surround it with warm colors, I guess. So the blue will be warm because of its surrounding, or that yeah, the because of the contrast. Or? Yeah. Well, actually, then the blue would be more. If you want to make blue really warm, you have to surround it with even colder colors, right? Yeah, that would be one solution, I think. Because yeah. I remember uh, looking at this color of their, their uh -huh. catalog and it looks like a sort of this very early morning kind of light purple that's, you know, in the sky. Mm -hmm. But it has, for me, I think, but also because they are, the image they are using is very digital. It has a It's a color that has a sort of a digitalness to it. Oh, really? It's not really, I would say, it doesn't feel like a material. It feels more like ethereal, like... Okay. A pixel 
a pure pixel creation kind of color. Wow. Uh, uh, wow, I didn't know I was in the Pantone show. Well, <laughs> it's, it's just, I think, a very starry, good starting point for colors <laughs> because it, for a lot of people who don't know, Pantone is basically one of the color producers of the world. Uh, well, they produce fans. Uh, you know, they make uh, swatches. Yeah, they're not. They're not a color. Yeah, they're not. Uh, well, they they sell colors or they sell ink. I don't know. What do you think? They sell. No well, this they sell uh, a narrative, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, no, this they they, uh, they sell fans where you can choose colors, but I don't really think that they. Well, they must do some invention with it, but uh, it's based off uh, a package of eight or nine colors. In total, like every Pantone color can be made with only eight or nine base colors. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. The yeah, have, have you ever been to a printer? I've, well, we work with printer, but we haven't yet touched on the exact color Pantone making part. Wow. We choose them, let's say. We That's a, just a dude with a knife. Oh, yeah? And he puts a little bit of a little bit of color and another little bit of color. And then it's exactly that color. And that's... Uh, uh, very magical if you see that you but should see it yeah I, yeah I I think that would be one of my very important uh, achievements uh -huh. in my in my career to uh, get more into this I mean I'm I do spend a lot of time with painting so inks mm -hmm. and colors like you do I think mm -hmm. uh, but what I find interesting with companies like this is they have created let's say recipes and yeah um, very specific I would say it's, it becomes like a numbering system. Yeah. Like a lot of people don't talk about numbers when they talk about Pantone. They don't say it's a blue, it's a green, it's number 275. You know? uh, yeah, that, but also the recipe itself is also a number. So uh, if you look at the swatches, you actually see the recipe right there. It's like, uh, you know, 90% uh, this and 10% uh, that. And then the printer actually eyeballs it. And then it's always a miracle how they get it exactly right in about two or three takes. And that is, so the, the, the color making process is happening at the printer. And uh, I, I'm not really even sure if the base colors are from Pantone. Pantone is just like a, like a, a suggestion <laughs> system. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a service in between. Uh, it's a service between uh, somebody who creates and somebody who prints. Yeah. But you can offer, you can just leave it and go to the printer and say, hey, get me an orange that, that never existed before. Yeah. Then they get really excited. But that's, I think, one aspect which uh, we tend to forget about colors is, uh, well, we, are, we can create an immense range of colors. We are used to, you know, primary colors and a certain from schools teaching you know we mm -hmm. use a certain hierarchy of colors but technically you have millions of nuances even more and the idea of creating colors like creating the colors of pigment uh, creating it is i think very uh, interesting and forgotten because you 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 do it with your work like it's part of your work to create colors yeah i would say so uh, I'll, I'll do although i also use only three or four base colors yeah, you it's, a, it's a bit like, uh, you know, if you are a graphic designer like I am, you also have just a few typefaces that you use. Mm -hmm. So I only have a few colors that I use, but then I can make all the nuances I want, right? Because you don't need, you don't need, 
everybody that does watercolor, for instance, you can have like, you can do it with eight swatches or, mm -hmm. but ever, anything more than that, that's unnecessary. That's your, uh, your motto, your starting point. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, if you get really good base, solid base colors, you can make uh, a lot. And I think that that is very interesting. And I was wondering, because of your work, I was curious, what goes first? Or what, the, what is the starting point for you? Is it colors? Or is it drawing? Is it the composition? Like, what is the starting point in your work that is a kickstart for all the rest? Okay, I, I always start out, if it's uh, graphic design, I start out with the typography. Mm -hmm. Because that is, that is the most important factor that, that defines what it will become. And then I start fucking around with it a little bit. <laughs> and then r I really quickly have to get some sort of sense what I want to do with color. Because if I don't do that, then I wind up somewhere uh, where it's, you know, I get, I get in trouble. Yeah. So color is, is, is number two on the list. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So it's typeface will be the first elements that you... Yeah, because if I have a name, then, you know, for instance, Oedipus or something, that already, you know, the, 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 f the shapes of the letters already do a lot for the design. Mm -hmm. That's just... And uh, I also have to decide whether I want to make it legible or not, because a lot of my work is not legible. But as soon as I got figured out how I want to do that, then color is immediately on the list and then shading so the black the amount of black uh, because i i see your work is very colorful of mm -hmm. course you you sometimes do a bit less colorful work but it's the a prime like the the biggest uh, uh, like uh, what i have in my mind is very colorful so how do you define how many colors how do you what 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 is the limits between too much and too few Mm. Oh, uh, there's not a thing like too much, but uh, <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm most of the time I want to make something that feels very colorful by default. So I will not make a lot of works where I just have two colors and play with that or even three colors. Mm. I want to have six colors and then I, I tame some of these colors. So mm -hmm. do them a little bit and others I uh, let come to the front and that will create sort of my base contrast. So if I want to do something with, you know, like a deep dark purple, then I want to have yellow, uh, like a yellow sparkle to, mm -hmm. to get the typeface going. I would not make a poster with only those two colors. I would also get all the other colors in, but give, give them, you know, secondary or, to, uh, you know, they're in the back somewhere doing their work. Because if you just have two colors, I don't... I don't consider it. Then it's just the same as black and white in a way. It's, it um, it becomes sort of an abstraction. And what I want is I want to have as many colors because I think that uh, the best for the eye. <laughs> no, not the best for the eye, but it reflects what we see around us. Mm -hmm. Like everything is like crazy. Yeah, uh, and, and and there's a maximum amount of everybody getting your attention when you walk on the street or uh, so. Uh, for me, it feels like uh, only logical to reflect that in my work. So, so I will always have, I will always try to have all the colors in, but I will decide per piece what the colors are that are most on front. 
and I was curious because I got I get these questions from time to time like am I on mushroom and are you on mushroom sometimes when it comes to color mm -hmm. me yeah you because oh. I get it and oh, I yeah, since yeah. you're making very colorful work do you get these questions sometimes yeah I get it and I also I'm, I'm guilty of it because uh, when I was like 16 I did all the drugs but um, till I was like in my far in my twenties, <laughs> but till they had no more effects. Your <laughs> eyes still were. Have, they, they still well, they have a, a effect because they kind of open your eyes, right? Yeah. But um, but I think I, 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 I people always ask me this uh, whether I do drugs or they they define my work as trippy or. Uh, um, I, I feel the other way around. I feel that all the other works are really dull and grayish if you not, don't do it. I've, I mean, you have all the colors at your uh, at your feet. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, Why wouldn't you? I mean. But that, like, what do you think when people ask this question? Like, what do you? Why? Why do you think they're asking this? Is it because we? I mean, uh, it's you, culture. It's culture. You think? Yeah, because we live in a, especially Holland, in a less is more uh, mm -hmm. philosophy. Uh, and that is so household that, you know, everybody learns that somewhere in their, uh, somewhere they pick it up that less is more, that things are black and white and red. If you, well, you were at the Rietveld, there's mm -hmm. just black, white and red, right? The Rietveld? Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> definitely a, uh, yeah, uh, a short selection of colors. Yeah, uh, they have like three. Yeah. Uh, so... I think that it comes from that color of uh, that's that sort of uh, culture where people uh, they have it in themselves that less is more. So when they see something uh, colorful, they automatically it's also like you know, Holland is also like a drug mm -hmm. uh, drug country, mm -hmm. druggy country. So one on one is two. This is why people ask me that question: like, hey, less is more, and there's a lot of color. You must do drugs. <laughs> and, and let's say if you've shown your work to other cultures far away from the Netherlands, do you get some? No, of course not. No, no, no. I've, no. There's yeah. a, a, a color is is hugely cultural, and um, so I'm also kind of doing it to to uh, push against this less is more thing. So you, for you, just say it because this is an important topic for you. Cult uh, color is is primarily a sort of a cultural uh, decision. Yeah, absolutely. There's no, uh, there's no. I mean, uh, uh, I'm also a teacher, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm a teacher at the first year graphic design in uh, the art academy in Den Haag, and I am the person that introduces color theory to the to these people. They come from all over the world. And uh, so I st always start with, okay, who knows color theory? You know, if you mm -hmm. had an introduction and, you know, half of the class will take their hand and put it on. And then I will ask them, uh, uh, what kind of color theory did you use? Now, most of the time it's Bauhaus, Johannes Eaton uh, uh, color yeah. theory. And... Um, and, it, and there's something about those theories that rings so much truth. But if you really peel it off, it's, uh, it's just cultural. There's no, there's no truths in, um, in these color theories. So color theory should 
I think you should first of all show that that um, the Bauhaus color theory is is a cultural thing, mm-hmm. even though you know they served it as the truth. Yeah, yeah. No, but that's another very important point. Is uh, yeah, color theory or everything we think we know about colors, which think should be the way to use them, is just another cultural phenomenon of a specific corner of the world. Absolutely, so, yeah. So do you have sometimes uh, students from far away mm-hmm. who also have another opinion? And do you have discussions about colors on these topics, more on the cultural level rather than on a uh, more like how to apply colors, let's say, rules of colors, whatever that is? Uh, yeah. Um, I remember somebody from Malaysia, I think, who came in with an incredibly colorful idea of of making stuff mm-hmm. and we don't really discuss it it's more i am i spent a lot of time unlearning uh a bauhaus so i'm just glad there's other voices <laughs> you're breaking the bauhaus <laughs> i mean yeah i'm glad to hear that because i sort of suffered from it too uh during my study from bauhaus yeah i think yeah. it was <laughs> it it was sort of a very heavy a uh, group of archangel, you know, like uh, that uh, shoots thunderstorm on your creation because yeah. you don't use the right thing. No. And I felt my teachers, so the Riedveld, were sort of on these notions of colors, maybe, or on certain design notions, were not questioning those Bao things. And no, I've, because I've it's taken for, it is taken, because nobody really bothers with color theory. And, it, and there's a reason for that, because scientifically, it is either not interesting or so far apart in different sort of science departments mm-hmm. that they cannot come together to form uh, an artistic color theory. So you have people who are linguists who are busy with color because color for a great part is a linguistic exercise. It's not only, it, it is only for a small part, the eyes. It's mm-hmm. the brain that makes it and Colors are, are made and defined in the same par- portion of the brain as uh, languages. So there is uh, uh, language and color are, are uh, together. Um, so th- that is one part. And then you have phys- physicists yeah. who uh, study you know, the, the wavelengths of color. But that is not interesting for... That has nothing to do with eyes because there's also ultraviolet uh, yeah. or, and colors that we cannot see. And then there are biologists who will just look at the, the, the things that are in your eyes, the cones and the, uh, um, the cylinders. Cones and cylinders? I don't yeah, know. I don't know what they are. <laughs> and then so you have already three sort of science departments that will not come together and say, hey, let's do something for the artist. And you also <laughs> have, a, uh, let's say, what do you call that? Uh, uh, humanitas, you know, like the study of uh, history. Oh, uh, uh, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Then there's cultural studies. Then there is, uh, yeah, that's absolutely bonkers. So there's not, there's not one like you know a building where these people come together and because the only output for that would be artists. You know, that's mm. the only sort of people that would be interested in it. In colors. In colors for <laughs> applying to art, and then yeah, so. so in that sense, so you unlearning certain uh, uh, preconceived ideas about colors yeah. with the students, and even, what do even, you leave them? 
in a sense, with colors, regarding colors? Well, they all have, uh, what I, uh, that I should, do you really, really trust their instincts? Yeah. That they should not, there's not something that I can, I can learn them like little narratives and stories about colors that are interesting, that will keep them interested and pique their, you know, uh, that will that will activate their minds, but I will I cannot say something new to them. Mm -hmm. You know, um, they already when when I just start with color theory, I let them do uh, do works, and then I use those works during class to to explain about color theory, and everything is always in there. There's nothing that le got left out, or so all these people already have incredible feel for color even if you don't have a feel for color but there's also you know words like clashing i don't know my grandma used to always say that mm -hmm. that you have you know you have two pieces of clothing and you should not wear them together because these colors clash yeah that's incredibly cultural that's a, such a uh, i mean that's such a really weird way to to uh, look at color so i'm i'm just unlearning all that stuff <laughs> like there's not something there's not there's no such thing as clashing colors uh there's a context mm -hmm. and you need colors maybe for that so what are your what are you basing your choices up that is something that i do want to know i want to know why did you decide it why did you why do you use these colors and, that, and I'm not really going into them. Well, why do you use these colors? Yeah, or you're asking <laughs> uh, for making like a, str a, a strips of paint with exact nuances, evolutions, you know, like from no. gray to red, no. it should be perfect. No, we don't do that. <laughs> no, I hate that. I think that's absolutely useless. Uh, that is maybe useful for if you do painting mm -hmm. because uh, um, paints and pigments really behave differently because they come from different parts of the world and different parts of nature or different parts of chemicals so this is also weird right if you have like a uh, if you have a paint box mm -hmm. then you see all those colors you see a yellow and you see a white and a red and a blue and a green and they all look the same because they have the same brand on it and they have the same tube you know the sort mm -hmm. of same they are packaged in a way that they all resemble each other but the pigments, they come from all parts over the world and they are made, some are made in a factory, some are uh, got out of the earth itself. So it's really weird when you think about that. Yeah. If you put them together, you're just putting parts of the world together uh, that don't maybe belong together. And this is why it's, it may be important to do these 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 exercises with gray to red but i would never do that in class <laughs> yeah maybe, yeah it's really for when you really want to specialize in colors yeah but or in painting you in know paint, yeah, yeah yeah because i when you say that colors and language are linked which i think is very interesting very good because it's we often forget about it i once listened to a radio show about colors and there was one of the scientific or sociologist in the show was explaining his own let's say research about colors and then he found out like but it's known now that the greeks and the romans yeah were the not green sea or the the olive the, green uh, yeah the blue the blue was a weird yeah. it was hard to tell let's say they would not use blue or the blue was not present and he made an experiment with his own son which I oh think yeah i heard the same thing like uh, uh children figure out a blue as the latest color, right? And when they're five, they then they start to understand that the yeah, he, sky he, is blue. Exactly, but he said his wife to not tell the kids that the sky is blue 
and when the kid was old enough to be able to let's say voice his opinion on that he asked his kid okay what's the color of the sky and the kids could not tell him mm-hmm. even though it's obviously blue but it's not because it's just uh, learn you have to learn it's a cultural thing yeah. uh, homer uh homerus mm-hmm. He wrote that the sea was uh, olive red, right? Yeah, something like this. And yeah. they always thought it was poetic uh, freedom, mm. but they later figure out, no way, there was no word for blue. So, And there's a lot of cultures where uh, green and red have the same word. Yeah. Uh, which is incredibly, uh, spectacularly weird in a way, because when I think of nature and I think of green you know, bushes and I want to pick out the fruits i i would i would assume yeah. that that you develop a color for the fruits and the dangers in the forest but uh yeah nice. if you have green and red and that being the same color that is that is fantastic i had a I, I, when i do screen printing i uh i actually hate the the job of mixing the colors i really hate it oh, yeah so i always let my assistant do it okay which is a student mm-hmm. so i ask a student to help me and then i i say okay you you do the color mixing because i just want to have fresh eyes when i look at it I, uh, so you mix it and then i will have a look and i immediately see what's what's wrong okay. because if i do it i just ruin my eyes yeah. like i would be mixing it and i'm not a professional color maker right mm-hmm. so i i'm like I don't know what I'm doing. So I had uh, a guy who helped me out like five times or something. And he was really good at it. Like always, boom, immediately right. And then, and I'm, I'm talking about transparencies here, mm. the amount of transparency. So I was uh, with this guy and he, uh, um, he did it like five times. And then one time, there was something weird or I, I don't re- really remember. And I confronted him with, what do you mean? These, these, what, 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 we were looking at two colors mm-hmm. and, he, and he told me, I'm actually colorblind. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> dude, you are such a good color mixer. How, yeah, how, how wow. do you not see that this is the red pot and this is the green pot? Because he couldn't see that. That was the thing. And he was like, yeah, I, I cannot see the difference but i do see how i should mix them yeah okay and i was like wow this is incredible oh, that's that's a, what what a, a lesson let's say to about to adapt and to yeah I, i felt sorry for him because this is like you know if you are in an art school well not at the Rietveld, but if you are in art school <laughs> and you don't know any colors <laughs> yeah you don't see the difference between the colors yeah then you that, that feels like uh, something to be uh, it's a taboo right so i i always have students in class who ha- are colorblind and then that's fine yeah it's yeah. really fine yeah because i think <laughs> it comes with these few examples you know of jobs which are not allowed for colorblind people you know like uh, people who check the airplane in the sky or oh yeah you know like few of these jobs they don't take colorblind because i think it's mostly due to the software they are using, I guess, not for the act of... Re- I would hope so, yeah. Yeah, it's because the software are made this way, uh, I think. Well, that says something about the software, right? Yeah, the software is, was not think... Because now, for example, in video games, you have an option for colorblind. Fantastic, mode. yeah. And I mean, not, not every, but more and more. And yeah. This is where development is right now, right? Video games. This, this is where <laughs> people are really thinking about these things. 
It seems so, yeah. But it's really weird to have something like air control and then not uh, think of colorblind people. I mean, that's really, really weird. What do yeah, you think? I, yeah, I, I really cannot tell you anything, explain that. But you think that's, I think when we hear this sort of, oh, you know that colorblind people cannot do this and that, then it creates sort of a notion of, uh, yeah, uh, they are being, uh, let's say, in the, they are in the wrong team in a way. And that's probably stick around. But when you come to any form of art expression, that doesn't matter to be colorblinded. Even no, in, uh, uh, even if you are a graphic designer and you're colorblind, you would make a better uh, system for uh, air traffic control. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, because you know, you know what the problems yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so l please let somebody w who is colorblind. Well, you have different uh, types, of course. But I think now that makes me think that there's even some games which are played at a competitive level, uh -huh. like uh, there are this actual sport where the players play with the colorblind mode on uh -huh. because it's sharper. Mm. With the color, uh, let's say what's happening on screen, very, very hectic. And if you switch the colorblind mode on, it makes basically the things a bit clearer. Oh, that's fantastic. And some do play, while they are not colorblind, with a colorblind system on, which I oh, think is very interesting. That's super cool, yeah. <laughs> ah, so there are advantages for everybody. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, because... Um, yeah, it was, of course, when we go to the optician, you know, we get our eyes checked and everything. And there's mm -hmm. always the colorblind thing, which feels like this is your like, moment of truth, you know? <laughs> yeah, true. Well, in a sense, being colorblind does not really affect you terribly in your life, I think, in general. Aside maybe from picking some fruits, but outside well, of that. Everything that, that is in your way is cultural. Yeah. Like everything that all the obstacles in the world are are made by people, that is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's weird in a way. Like you have traffic lights that are green and red, which is exactly the one of the colorblind. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, you know, one of the colorblind types. Uh, so that that in itself is weird. Um, so uh, you know, every obstacle is made by people. So I think that colorblind people should be in charge of of designing these things uh, to have yeah yeah because I don't mind if there's different colors I see all <laughs> colors so I think yeah. that would be uh, such a statement if you would indeed uh, put that let's say a big cultural achievement into colorblinds uh, made by colorblind people let's say a massive um, Olympic Games organization yeah. or a football uh, cup or a presidential election in some country, yeah. all done by colorblinds. That's right? fantastic. <laughs> that would ex uh, that would really be that would really be something. Yeah, uh, yeah. We should push. We should push for that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's yeah because it's um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, I think when it comes to colors, uh, there is. I mean, at, as long as you're not blind, uh, you can see any form of color uh, light passing through. So you're reacting, you're conscious about it, and then, and then it's the filter of your culture that sort of tells you what to do, what to think about with these colors, what to... Yeah, you, you, I mean, you have color systems, like uh, a Bauhaus is based upon a, a circle and, and contrast, which is are, are totally absolutely bullshit 
but uh, uh, you have also color systems that are based upon um, emotions or color systems that are based upon something else culturally. It's not, uh, you know, you can... There's so many ways to, to put colors in boxes and say this is why, why you should use it and this is how you should use it. You should always use this color with this color because that evokes this emotion or, mm -hmm. you know, or, or, or um, yeah, so... Uh, it is always cultural uh, because humans are using it. Uh, and it's also, you know, very historical. There's a lot of history to it. And there's a lot of principles. Everybody kind of knows something about color. Even, you know, even non-artists know a lot, actually. If I, I would ask them, what are the primary colors? They give me three colors. And if I would ask them, why are they called primary colors? They give me a definition. Not that it is correct, but they will, you know, they will, you know, they yeah, immediately will, sum up uh, yeah. uh, uh, these things. So everybody knows that. And this is also what I like about when my students come in. They already have so much knowledge. And I, I want to activate that instead of a sort of... Uh, uh, come in into class and say, okay, well, let's wipe everything away, and here's a color theory that you should use from now on. <laughs> yeah, With the, the exception of of uh, when we do printing or when we when we look at a monitor, because I do want them to know what is underneath there. What is the what is the technical? Wh why are we using cyan, magenta, and yellow, and why are we using red, green, and blue for monitors? That I do want them to know because it's good to know that. Uh, yeah. as not as a little bit of knowledge but you it's, it doesn't really mean something when you start making yeah, yeah that's a, a very important topic when you work in the design world that what you see on screen is not what you see on print and vice versa and there's yeah. all kind of now everybody has a screen in his pocket and the screen has a different sh color shade so there will be all kind of uh yeah reaction to colors mm -hmm. and um but that's a, that makes me that gives me a good bridge towards the way you are working in a sense i think you seem to also have an, an interest for techniques and mathematics or mm -hmm. let's say all these processes being intertwined yeah so when you teach is uh, well when you teach is when you work so you're using a specific software or using um uh, i don't know way of creating manipulating all of this you, according to maths or it's also yeah but it's handwritten math so i just use adobe uh, software mm -hmm. just photoshop and illustrator and indesign and stuff like that but the math behind it is uh, is written down with a calculator and um yeah and and you know in 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 uh, the i don't know how many years i'm doing i'm doing this you develop a sort of a sense or a system for how you uh, how you approach designing, and then you still find out you know new things every day, and that becomes like a if I, if I do some sort of a discovery like I did like two weeks ago, mm -hmm. I was uh, I was uh, two weeks ago I was doing a piece where I had different colors, six different colors: siamiente, mm -hmm. magenta, yellow, green, red, and blue printed. And then I was doing the shadows. And then I, for the first time in my life, I realized that only the shadows of cyan, magenta, and yellow can be colorful. But if from red, green, and blue are always black. 
because you always neutralize it. And that was like an incredible moment for me. Like, oh my God, you cannot make, you cannot make a colorful red shadow. It's always black. But you can make a colorful yellow shadow. So if you, if you think about uh, uh, candy, mm-hmm. you know, and you have like a yellow candy, if you look at it, you see that the that the the sort of the, the 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 shadow it has is either greenish or reddish. Mm-hmm. If you have good candy, because okay. it has to look tasteful, right? Yeah, you yeah. want to have it. You don't, don't want to have a black shadow in a yellow candy. I'm talking about the translucent yeah, candy, yeah, yeah, like drop. Called drop shadow, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're looking at a yellow piece of candy, and then you see, oh, the the shadow is reddish or it's greenish. Those are the two options. But if you would have a red candy, then the shadow is black. And then it's, I mean, that's, I've, that's such a big real, realization for me. While I'm, I'm teaching color theory, and still I was amazed, like, oh, I've never realized that before. But when, uh, for what kind of uh, project did you realize that? What, 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 I, I you was make- making a poster, and I just wanted to make, I was looking at a yellow letter that had shading, and I was like, I, this has to be more like a candy. This has to be more tasteful Mm -hmm. you know i want to eat this letter but with a black you know if you have a yellow uh, thing and you have a black shadow on it it just looks yucky because that is sort of uh uh, army greenish right Mm -hmm. so (laughs) i was just thinking about okay how can i make this yellow letter yummy and then i did a red shadow and i was like this is good then i did a you know like a trans like a really flashy green shadow i was like this is also good and then I was applying the same thing to the red letter, and I was like, "There's no options there. I can only make it black because this is the contrast that happens. this is how it works. Okay. This is how it works. So because you neutralize it with cyan, if yeah, getting technical, um, but that was an amazing thing. And now I'm, you know, that immediately pops up a sort of a list of inspiration <laughs> of what I can do with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's this uh, new knowledge, right? So. Uh, um, and it's also thinking, I'm also thinking about candy then a lot. Like, oh my God, these people are really thinking about it. If you well, make candy, this is a thing that you have to think about because you don't want a black shadow because that looks y- yucky. Yeah. Well, I remember once I was doing a freelance mission in a sort of big company and they were doing a lot of packaging mostly. There you go. Yeah. And they had a guy who was... I mean, a freelancer who was specialized in red colors for print only. Hmm. And his mission was to basically make sure every kind of red fruits on the packaging would turn out good. There you go. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Because that's exactly because if you do shading, you have to be really careful because it looks... Uh, can we? Yeah, can and we? and the the subtle nuance between let's say a raspberry and a strawberry yeah. should be just right. Otherwise, you you get it wrong, and yeah. your f- your yogurt, whatever that is, your jam, it will look uh, disgusting. Yeah, and this guy was apparently pretty high level in his field, in his niche, I would say. Yeah. So he was get paid a lot. He was paid a lot to basically look at colors of a specific range. On packaging, which I thought was quite an achievement. <laughs> I once did a, I don't know if you did it, but I once did a, a test with these, what are there, like six or seven boxes with 
these little you know these little plastic things that have a, a small color on it and then you have to put them all into ah, in a gradient ones. yeah yeah i did that online i think once or twice oh well you also have them in print oh yeah and it's uh, and you're only supposed to and it, I, I, it's like i don't know how many but it's thousands of things that you have to put in the order in the, in the order and you only allow like three mistakes and if you i've scored like seven mistakes mm -hmm. which is normal for a normal person if you have like three or less, you are considered one of the color people, you know, one of the color connoisseurs of the world. And then you can immediately get a salary somewhere. <laughs> wow. That, that, you know, that's something few people know that the ability to see colors is uh, also a, I would say, an achievement, like another achievement, but an, an evolutionary thing. <laughs> people yeah, get better at it. Yeah. Yeah, in another show, there was a story of also women being also more receptive to certain color range than men. Like yeah, you have, uh, there's people, uh, there's now evidence of evolution where uh, new cones get uh, 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 created in the eye. So we are, because we are, are incredibly, we are a species that is depending a lot on, on visuals. On visuals. Mm. We are still in the evolution, of course, because we're not done mm. We're still in the evolution of creating more cones, uh, yeah. which is amazing because that means that people uh, in the future will look at our work and our how we describe our our colorful world, and they were like, "My God, these people are—they are idiots." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should not judge them. The past, they also had their own view of color. No, but it's true because, for example, when I would say twenty years ago. There was way less screens mm -hmm. and also the screen quality, like the, 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 the fluorescence or the, 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 the richness of the screen was very, l only few screens were really good. Yeah. Like the screens were a bit grayish and now it's incredible and they are everywhere. And I think also certain colors of nowadays objects that mm -hmm. are not necessarily digital also get close to this in a certain way. Like colors that have this sort of electric, yeah, neon. A, yeah, it's more common, maybe, or a bit more. It feels more present. Maybe before it was only for emergency stuff, <laughs> or like uh, uh, only for um, dangerous situations. But because of screens being so bright, so when you enter like a, the screen department of a convenience store, you know, like when you mm -hmm. all the screens. It's amazing. I always found it amazing uh, all the screen colors and you can suddenly see like, oh my God, this, these colors are very contrasted, like the, the very bright and yep. others are very gray. And then when you sort of bounce it back to your screen you have at home or what your phone is, I don't know, suddenly it feels like the world <laughs> has a filter <laughs> and you need to look at it completely differently. Yeah, I think so too. I think that people get used to seeing a lot of colors and demand demand that in their everyday life. I I think the, like a few years ago, it's still ongoing. You had this blue in clothing, so you had in textile, you had this sort of I'm not saying electric blue because but this this blue that was really really spark uh, sparkly, Sparky. a bit like the European blue. I have no blue. idea, but it, yeah, it yeah. is really flashy. And then I was talking with my wife about it because she knows a lot about pigments and then she said yeah but what you're seeing already existed it, it's there's not there's not been a new blue pigment pigment for for 
years or maybe even centuries. There's mm-hmm. like the blue pigments are there's only a few of them, but it's just supply and demand, right? So people want to have more flashier colors, like you said, and then uh, uh, they get into the textile uh, industry. And it's interesting because a lot of colors that we know or uh, that we wear, they come from the automobile industry. So they are made uh, 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 for automobiles Mm -hmm. somewhere in history. Uh, And then because, you know, these are pricey things to buy an automobile. So a car. <laughs> so they can I'm afford a, very bright uh, pigments and colors. Or yeah. So so this this is where we get uh, um, uh, so new new paints, for instance, they come from the automobile industry, um, which is interesting. But yeah, you see, uh, uh, there's a, a demand for flashy colors. I also think that fluorescent colors are always when I was I, w- I actually kind of when I was like ten or something fluorescent colors were for the first time available in markers so that left a, oh, yeah, a yeah. huge impression on me <laughs> like that was the first time that you know these stabilo boss yeah uh, kind of things came into the market and that never left me so fluorescent colors i've always been with me uh like my precious sort of things that i, I kind of always use um yeah I have the same with, uh, I bought uh, recently some markers which have uh, like gold uh, dust in it or some sort of, uh, Oh yeah. you know, so the ink is very, already very thick, very glossy. Mm-hmm. Plus you have this, it's like, it's a bit like this lipstick for teenagers, but yeah. it has more of a paint feeling rather than a, a paste. Yeah. And it's called a sheen. Oh yeah? Yeah. That, that, uh, that special effect is called a sheen. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm not using it, I think, like pro would do, but I'm always amazed when I do a little thing with it. I'm like, my God, this color speaks to me, you know, somehow. It uh-huh. has sort of a depth or a weird sort of a chemical reaction. But yeah, I mean, it, what you say was, we are getting used to more nuanced, no, 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 more nuanced, more fluorescent colors. I really feel it uh, because, for example, when I... Um, you know, do you watch streaming online, like people who do streaming, like they stream their their life? They do uh, no, only computer games, but yeah, sure. Yeah, or computer games. But yeah. they, now that's a very big thing, so they stream about them. You know, like yeah. uh, doing questions and and usually the world or the the aesthetic of this world is very digital. Like uh-huh. They don't do a streaming which pretends to be in the forest with leaves. With it's often in their bedroom and colors are super. super bright or there is something very digital in that old world also maybe the emoji that fly around it or the what you see on screen all this interface also adds up to this mm-hmm. immersion and i think i really feel this is completely new in a sense of um maybe when we were kid in the I mean, for my case in the 90s only tv would gives you this and well let's say, a TV and cinemas in a sense of high production, high-level production thing would bring you these colors and this richness to the eyes. Mm-hmm. And now you have people on there doing streaming at home. And I think, yeah, they, are, uh, they have a, a use of these colors and all of this digital aesthetic super advanced already. We, if, if not them being not, let's say, trained in art or designs necessarily, 
but they, if you look in detail at how this interface function, how they are making their subscription pop up, all of these things have like a very, I don't know, it seems very free, very... It's yeah, like but not only that. It's also like uh, they, they all also have their own niche in aesthetics. So you have like... Uh, uh, you have every, every sort of... Uh, a culture or or group has their own sort of set of colors and how they use them. So you have you these gamers that that match a lot of black things that they have in their room mm-hmm. with LED lighting. Yes. Uh, uh, so you have that sort of aesthetic, and you have like people that do uh, Animal Crossing uh, 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 videos, and then everything is like this toned down sort of uh, uh, visual visuals, right? And then you have people who are in fashion or in makeup or uh, watercolor, and they, all these sort of because I do lo- watch a lot of streaming. <laughs> uh, all these sort of niches they have their own sort of palettes, and they're also also talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. This aesthetics and palettes and uh, what what they think go well together, paired with even typography and uh, other yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. and attributes and and uh, uh, words and and brands that fit that aesthetic. That's that's uh, yeah, that's out there. Everybody is uh, is getting a special, uh, you know, getting becoming like a specialist in having their own sort of palette. But they're also very, very conver- conservative. Like you know, gamers only have that one sort of. There's that one of brand mm-hmm. of palette that they have, and the people from the watercolor world or the makeup world or the, they have their own sort of palette, and you're not supposed to step out too much. Uh, yeah, you have to, of course. Yeah, there is a sense of like clans or uh, community, so you represent this community. Yeah, but they are, you know, they're incredibly complex, and uh, uh, there's all these Easter eggs or hidden things that you know the the, the normal viewer might not understand. But it's all you know uh, in the, in how they present themselves online. Yeah, yeah. But I think for me, I feel that this the generation of pure gamers is now adults like yeah yeah exactly and they are the one that will naturally come into uh into the decision onto the decision table soon like in the next 10 years we'll have pure gamers having let's say jobs which take decisions for the rest of the population yeah and i think they will also bring their yeah cultural and this sort of uh digitalness with them absolutely but that's already happening i mean uh, the world is already shaped by uh, by these people uh because uh, uh yeah we i mean you say from the 90s it uh, was a sort of a grayish dull perspective but if i remember the 90s there was Haber house where everybody has like a f- incredibly loud sort of training uh trainer suit, uh clashing you know old grandma clashing as much as you can like having purples and reds and and yellows, and then you have sneakers who were t- were you know were totally out of this world. So I remember the nineties as incredibly colorful. If you just think about the Fresh Prince of Bel Air intro, <laughs> how many colors are you just yeah, yeah. used in there? You know, it's uh, it's indeed. No, I was mostly saying about the quality of the colors you get to to the screens so. oh that's true yeah that's incredibly uh, shitty in the 90s <laughs> yeah, it's yeah it now looks... now it's just incre- it's just like i i was i just recently got a new screens for my work and i i know the colors range would be much better than the one i use and it will suddenly feel like you know 
a new world. You know, it's crazy, but that's how it is. And I have colleagues, which is also interesting, which are not into this. Mm -hmm. They don't, s they see it's more bright. You know, like what do you call that? They don't really see the color. Uh, oh, yeah. You yeah. know, they, they, they understand it's brighter, but they don't really visually connect that this green is better than this, these other yeah. ones or this kind of yeah that that's absolutely true but, but that is your job right? this yeah, is why yeah. you have a job man <laughs> <laughs> to do this color thing yeah this yeah. green uh, will be to, a big uh, to be really sophisticated in those choices yeah but i remember once there was a, a colleague who made a sort of showed me an image of so he showed me his, la uh, his phone and there was an image of a wall like brick wall mm -hmm. and he say look at this tell me what you see And I looked at it and I directly saw that on the wall, there was like a cigar put in between the bricks that matches, you know, this sort of uh, brick cement mm -hmm. in between. And that's the, ex the first thing I saw for the 0.01 seconds of looking at this image. But I thought, oh, he's tricking me. Then he's asking me there's something else hidden in the image. So I look for like five long seconds. And I say, outside of the cigar, is there anything else? And he was like, oh. <laughs> it took me two minutes to see that. They were like, well, that's, we don't have the same uh, eyes, man. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, you know, if, if we do uh, look at, uh, let's search for Waldo or what is this guy? Yeah, yeah the Waldo. We would suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah you, you are more, uh, if you have a trained eye, you have a trained eye. Right? Yeah. It's, if uh, you, and if you know much more, then you also see the world differently. Like I'm, I'm totally fascinated by light and shadows. So, you know, or even we have now a very misty day. I like these kind of things because I start analyzing like, okay, what does, what does mist do with uh, uh, perspective and how do colors oh, yeah. change of, of mist? And then I, if I analyze it correctly, I can use it in my work. And if I get really, really hyped about it, you know, if I find something somewhere that hypes me up, then I, that becomes my my sort of uh, 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 rabbit hole where I will be in the next coming two months. Uh, so, uh, yeah. But like for when you have this um, natural elements that uh, put you into this reflection about colors, about how, how the reality gets shape shift almost by that, I was curious if, are you then looking a lot at science as a hobby, like as scientific discoveries or image of science i would say like how science portrays what science do to let's say the general public not the scientists yeah i do that so i'm not into science itself i look at uh, images that come from science and then i start thinking about why do they look like that mm -hmm. uh, what is the reason why they look like that and uh, and that's it and uh, uh, just thinking about these things will get me into uh, thinking about maybe other things or... Yeah, that's develop your reflection. Yeah. And then something will just, you know, uh, interest me very much. And that becomes... And I, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the... I would say the, 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 the easiest things. Uh, like, how do you... So this is not science, but, but this is something that piques my interest. Is How do you draw a sphere, a, a ball? Mm -hmm. How do you draw that? This is, it sounds very easy and you can have like tons of, of YouTube tutorials <laughs> and books about how to draw a sphere, a sphere, but it's very, very complex. It's not, a, it's not at all an easy thing. And 
And that really tickles me because that means that every sphere we've ever, you know, drawn mm-hmm. is a depiction, right? It's not the actual thing. It's not. No, it's it, just. Uh... It, yeah. So I get incredibly hyped about that because then I can, as soon as you realize that everybody is just doing their own version of it, then you can start thinking about, okay, what is my version of it? What do I want to portray that I think is interesting, not necessarily drawing the sphere as it is, but what are the as- aspects that interest me? Sort of like, uh, like uh, you know, this series of David Hockney is, uh, uh, you know, David Hockney? Yeah, yeah artist. But what is this series? He has a series of uh, swimming pools. Yeah. And so what I always liked about that is not the actual paintings themselves, although I do like them, but I like that he just he's just going into different aspects of what is a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's the, some cultural things, but there's also how does water splash. But then if he if he does a water splash in these paintings, he leaves out everything else. Yeah. So you, and I really really love looking at the world like that. You see something, you take it apart, and you use only aspects of it. Thing of this series, one of my favorites is the one where he really very freely drew the line of like the water ripples yeah. with only two brushes, two colors, yeah. and they, the both lines sort of merge or not. And it just translates this basically movement of water with the shadow that happens when it goes transparent. You know, when the... Yeah, 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 yeah and I, it, I know the painting. Like two or three colors, he managed to catch that. And I thought this, for me, in, in the painting of the swimming pool this is one of my favorite because i think it's so beautifully translated yeah but he also what i like about his uh, sort of philosophy is that he acknowledges that it's always a translation mm-hmm. so he says well i cannot make a perfect swimming pool i will not even try i will lift out the aspects that interest me and will show them to you and uh, do the, and i think that that is also what painting is right like like giving your uh, maybe uh, your opinion uh, uh, about how something works by showing, making almost a caricature about how it works and then showing that. And I think that that is a fantastic way because there's a lot of people that, if you are a painter and you do realism, you try to make incredibly realistic uh, works, then you will never really achieve it and you will only achieve what's already out there if you if you achieve it. So I think it's much more interesting to to uh, get out some aspects that that, and also uh, I think that I would be if I consider myself my work to be successful if I can have other people look at my work, and see that certain aspect that I want to get out of there, mm-hmm. then I I think it's a successful work. If they if they see the world through my eyes, then you know that yeah, yeah that is the mission accomplished. Um, yeah. Yeah, Taking them on a tour, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's uh, it's natural. I think it's. I would say, I would I'm all totally acknowledge the fact that an artist creation or uh, it's the way of seeing is this on display. So you look at the anything through the to the artist's eye, mm-hmm. and if it touches you, it touches you. If not, if it's not, it's not a supposedly a neutral representation of the world and it should be it but uh i was curious because i want to just go back to the science part of uh, okay, your sure. interest because i discovered uh, recently the world microphotographic uh, festival or something like or 
no, not festival, um, awards, like the, 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 the Oscars of micro photography. Uh, macro, you mean? Yeah, yeah macro. Thing, yeah, the, the very tiny. With which are called micro. micro. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's incredible because it completely, and, that, and that, that's, I don't know how colors function on, on that micro level. It seems extremely colorful, all of these tiny elements like cells or, or insects, oh, you know, oh, yeah, 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 all yeah, of these yeah. things. And yeah, I, when I, when I look at this, I'm like, is this exact, like, if you would be super tiny, would the world be as colorful as that? Or is just a sort of digital translation to help us identify? You know, like it picks up. Fuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm thinking about that because there's a lot of problems when you, when you uh, do a thought experiment like that. Uh, so uh, let's say you become like a really tiny victor yeah, yeah. Uh, with all your cells also being tiny. Yeah, everything is tiny. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then you would look at that world. Well, there is a point where uh, light, uh, uh, because the colors is reflected light. Eh? So mm -hmm. we, if you see a red surface, it means that all other colors are absorbed mm -hmm. and only the right the, the red bounces back so if you see red all other colors are, are gone that is a red surface but if you become really really tiny light if you become really really tiny mm -hmm. light starts to behave really weirdly and it's also i mean one of the the sort of the things that always amazes me is that The world itself isn't. There's no colors in the world. There's no yeah, molecules. Don't have atoms. Don't have colors. Colors. So if you see a red surface, the surface of that red object has a structure where uh, all the light gets trapped except the red light. And that is amazing that you can buy that in a can. That you can buy a molecular structure in a can, which itself is uh, uh, colorless. Mm. You apply it to a surface, and then ta -da, all the colors get trapped, except yeah. the red. Yeah, this um, that is amazing. But if you go really, really be, start to become really, really tiny, uh, light starts to become become. Uh, I wouldn't say different because it's still the same light, but uh, you would actually be uh, a witness to how these. Uh, colors get trapped and that ah, yeah, you would uh, and yeah. that would be become really really a colorful world yeah i would say and there's also science is always colorizing also i eh? have false colors yeah that's what i i guess because some of these insect or cells are they were really colorful because what made me think about this and look further were all these images of covid uh, <laughs> viruses that we have seen for the last two years I thought they were very um, uh, blurry, in a sense. The, the COVID cells depiction and the color they've used, often I th in my memory, from bluish to dirty orange, like almost some sort of a uh -huh. mix of two. And I thought it was somehow a bit unclear, you know? Uh -huh. While other type of viruses and things we got to know were depicted a bit more precisely. Like I remember when I was kids, when there was a big AIDS. The uh, HIV virus, yeah. I the virus that. was so well yeah, 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 depicted. Yeah. It made it very, uh, how do you call that? It gave the virus an identity and a yeah. sort of a, a ball of spikes, very clearly aggressive, 
red, dark red, you know, something. Yeah, 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 I remember But this that. coronavirus is very blurry. It's like a stain or something, uh -huh. all this image. And I thought, is this the reflection of the general um, confusion that we have towards this disease, which is everywhere, uh, invisible, and at the same time, very unclear what it does to different people because it's so different you know it's i mean it's still a model right like everything like everything that we depict from the macro world but also the you know uh, the universe it is always a, a model so we're always looking at a model and some of them you know have a striking uh you know striking image and maybe this covid virus uh uh, does not have a, a good, uh, you know, another striking image. But you should, you you always have to realize uh, that that you're always looking at a model. Like every every depiction of what is super tiny, even if it's supposedly a photo, it's still a model. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. yeah. You're always looking at a um, at an interpretation, a translation. Like that's super important to know that you're never. There's no yeah. There's no real. Uh, no real truth out there <laughs> yeah it's a bit what's happening with the uh, james webb telescope which we've made a big fuss about uh, recently yeah because i love that thing but i've not seen anything from it yet yeah and it will be very disappointing for most of the common ground people because uh -huh. it's meant to be look in the super infrared spectrum. oh yeah 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 so it's not the beautiful image that you the hubble uh, telescope yeah um, hubble uh, telescope yeah. was sort of in a wavelength range for our eyes with extra but james webb is really about studying like deep space and yeah uh, i like that yeah which is great <laughs> but it's not it's not going to give you this nebula no but this nebula was also colorized and eh? let's be honest <laughs> yeah i know i know yeah. but it, it it created the notion that space is uh, colorful in a sense before yeah. it was just dark in some spots but now we think a space with a lot of colors in there Me that, mean more and more that's that's i think star trek the next generation that did that <laughs> 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 they made an, ex an, an exceptionally colorful universe i think that about that a lot to be honest about colors in, uh, in, in space well not in the, i mean uh light also hits you different because uh we have an atmosphere on this earth so when the, the sun shines on our earth we see a blue sky because we're looking at a basically a lot of uh, uh condensed mm -hmm. uh, fluids in the in the atmosphere uh, but if you would be in space and you would you know if you have this, the light of the sun hit you you either burn or you freeze that's the two that, those are the two options <laughs> that's it yeah no yeah because it it's hard to imagine it's binary like yeah <laughs> it's hard to imagine but it's uh, full of uh yeah radiation well not not only that but it's the two it's too powerful mm -hmm. to 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 just have there i mean if you have a uh, the moon is super cold or super hot depending on uh, uh where you are uh i, I think um but are, are all these things we are talking about, like all this science and this phenomenon of colors, uh, like directly fueling your work now? Or is it just general interest, which sometimes will dripple into what you do? Well, no, I have a good, uh, I have a good uh, example. I was in, in class 
And somebody made a, a, a drawing or a video, I'm not really sure anymore, about uh, a, a landscape. Mm-hmm. And then it was not really working. So there was some perspective and there were colors and, and it was not really a landscape. And I, I said, well, you should, you should use atmospheric uh, perspective. So that means that the, the farther you look, things get less colorful and mm-hmm. more white. And I knew that because I just know, you know, I know these terms and I know how it works because it fascinates me a little mm-hmm. bit. And then she applied it to the image and it was mind boggling how much it worked. <laughs> Even for me, I was like, oh my God, this works so well. This is such a good principle to get a lot of perspective in your drawing is to make, the, you know, the, the furthest points away white. So that is immediately like peaking my, I, I want to make things that do that. So I go at home and I start, you know, start yeah. messing around with it. And then, you know, I do that with a lot of these principles and some of them surface. So this is like me playing around with it with or with the thoughts because I'm a bit too lazy to really try out all these things and then uh, you know an assignment comes along or a client comes along and then i'm like okay this is atmospheric perspective <laughs> whether you like it or not yeah, buddy this be, it's, it's my flavor of the month this right? is my flavor of the month and you're getting it this so is what, yeah like right now what is uh, what are you uh, busy with well, I, I, t- I told you i'm with this this the the shadows of oh, yellow yeah, and i love that 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 yellow objects get a red or a green shadow and that makes them yummy and i think that that is that will take me a long way i will that that's i also there's also a lesson uh, in my uh, in, during my year where i tell them how to make incredibly juicy juicy gradients you know mm-hmm. going from one color to another and then they all always want to know how i make my gradients and i will tell my secret then and they're all writing it down and taking notes and they're like oh my god this is genius so yeah so th- this is uh i mean this is your secret move you know your gradients this, this is, is one of my moves yeah yeah, yeah. i got one, a bunch of them yeah, yeah the signature move <laughs> of the, but like the for example when clients come to you now uh, like we talk about clients do mm-hmm. they also come for uh the gradients like what what do they let's say want to talk with you when it when they know what you do what, what is there is it the colors is it the gradients is it about just the style of all this typeface and being merged with all this it's no they want me to the most the most of the time they already kind of know me because somebody else told them about how i work mm-hmm. So it's hearsay, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, mouth-to-mouth mm. uh, thing. Um, most of the time, clients want me to do a special for mm. a product. So if they want something special, or uh, or they want to, uh, if they want something else, they come to me. This is always how it gets framed. They come to me and they call me. You know, we are this and this brand, and we want to do something else. Yeah, uh, I right. always know, like, oh, okay, cool. You're the wild card. <laughs> yeah, the wild card. So I make the specials, and then they just they just want me to do whatever I want. And uh, most of the time, I will ask them. So, are you here for the typography? Are you here for the colors? Or what <laughs> is happening here? And then uh, they will give me an indication, and that I'm, and then I just make my work. And uh, most of the time, that is just accepted as is. And is it because this is all for me a very important part of your work? Is it what happened with Flisco? A bit of the same uh, situation where they no. knew your work and they wanted 
or no. it was i found out that at the time i was the only designer that ever applied for a job there <laughs> Really? Everybody got headhunted except for me. I was the only one that applied for a job there. Because this was a huge thing when I discovered that all these prints were mm. made in the Netherlands. I was like, S "Sorry, what? All the prints like the the, the yeah were made here." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah really, yeah. and then uh, while slowly digging through, I discovered you were working in there. I was like, "How can?" What is the way, basically, to get to that? <laughs> oh, this is a uh, this is an incredibly long and and bizarre history of uh, coincidences, uh, colonialism, uh, and it's such a weird mix. There, the history of, I mean, for for one thing, it's a one hundred and seventy years old company. Uh, company. So, you know. Uh, Any company that's that that exists longer than you know a generation or two generation transforms in the most weird ways. Mm -hmm. Like Nintendo started as a card company, uh, uh, and Flisco also that they, they they walked a road which is so long and so uh, 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 crazy sometimes that this is just where we ended. This is. It, it it's a sort of uh, uh, an outcome of uh, there's there are, there are some conscious choices there, but you know in a company there's also a lot of unconscious choices that gets to be the brand. I mean, if we look at Oedipus in like 50 years, it might be just a radio station and there's no beer anymore. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> it's know? no more. Yeah, uh, ice cream. Ice yeah. creams. Yeah, some you know <laughs> things change. Uh, so. Um, Flisco, yeah, I was the only one that applied there for a job because uh, uh, I, I I saw that the principle how they make the textile uh, resembles uh, like a hundred percent my way of making uh, screen prints. Mm -hmm. So I just went there with a bunch of screen prints, and it was like a, a, a no-brainer for them too. Like, oh, this guy knows how to to do this. So and while while you were there, were you actually making real screen prints? On textile to do all no, the no, 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 on paper. Oh, no, on paper, and then it was translated, converted for textile. No, 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 no. So I brought those uh, screen prints, and they thought, oh, this guy knows the principle, and then I started making designs especially for uh, the textiles. Okay. So this is, uh, and I did that for five years, four and a half years. Uh, and I've been, I did that till 2016. Uh, and that was incredibly... Uh, um, interesting for me because that was the first time as a designer I was in a company uh, because normally I would work on my own I, I yeah. again work on my own but it was the first time where I could see the world through the eyes of a company and I would also see uh, creativity through the eyes of a company which you also must have this is a different really different uh, view than we've learned at the Rietveld because mm -hmm. I was also a Rietveld student that transformation was really important for me because then you start to understand how uh how how a business works uh and how design if you have you this is also like a Oedipus is also a design driven company in a way right mm -hmm. it's a very important part so it's imp it's really interesting to see um how a brand where design is the number one thing looks at at designs and the world so that was uh, uh incredibly uh yeah learned a lot in that period yeah 
because uh, I recently saw a documentary about the, and I forgot her name. She was the most iconic designer of Marimeko that she made all oh, the patterns. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, don't ask me these things. Yeah, uh, explosion you, in something my Yulia or yeah. something like this uh -huh. about our life, basically, how she uh, did her career. And it, she was indeed uh, really an artist in that sense, but she had that understanding of patterns mm -hmm. and how elements combine and also colors, obviously. And this Marimeko... Largely co colors, right? I mean, yeah. Marimeko is really about... Uh, um, shapes in colors. Yeah, but she, she as a painter had a lot of, we could see a lot of sketch and a lot of research Well, really drawing, like, of course, with paint, but mm -hmm. typically drawing, which she would bring to a level at some point with patterns, depending on the collection. And it was very interesting to see her evolution and where she has been in the world, yeah. what kind of influence she got from, I think, Mexico, France, London... So I think at some point, and uh, and this relationship with Marimeko the company because mm -hmm. they have all kind of designers working for them, and she, like I guess many, she's not working there physically, but she's in this relation where she sends, she sent this uh, research or they had meetings and of course it's very special, but I thought that very interesting that she would go on a, you could some maybe six months on a sort of journey to research something. And then she would come back there with a bunch of paper, <laughs> yeah. all kind of print. And then they would decide, define what is the strength. And which I, I, I imagine when I saw that maybe that was your case when you worked at Flisco. When I worked at Flisco, uh, uh, they told me that I could do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And I had to follow my own interests, like specifically like the things that I, so I was totally into marbles then. So I did a lot of marble based designs, uh, a lot with circles. I really, and a lot of geometry, a lot of math. I, I actually did a whole physics course of MIT. Really? The first, yeah, the first year physics of MIT I did uh, just because that was like, I, I, I really want to, because I had one month per design, which is, uh, uh, it, it, it's a lot. It's also not a lot, but it's mm. also a lot. So you have a lot of time. So I went into, in, like, I studied gyroids, which is a really weird m mathematical uh, structure. Uh, I studied falling objects mm -hmm. uh, because I wanted to do a fireworks uh, design. I wanted to make a fireworks design that really, really nails how things fall, All right. but still do it really abstract. So everything is super abstract except the patterns that, that, that how, is the, falling, how yeah. the, the sparks are falling because I just wanted to really do that exactly how that should be done. <laughs> uh, so, um, and I had a month per design. So, you know, this fireworks thing, I was like, okay, I want to do a fireworks thing, but I want to, what, what, again, like David Hockney, I want to take one aspect out of it which interests me, like how does it fall and how do I depict that, only that, and keep the rest abstract. Mm -hmm. Because I've, I know that people are not interested in super realistic fireworks. It's also not achievable on a, on a textile. So I have to build a level of abstraction there. So that's just me getting one aspect out of it. And with the marbles, I was like, okay, I, I, 
I want to do my own sphere, my own ball, mm -hmm. but now I want to have light coming through and I have to translate it into pure binary black and white for the image. How do I do that? Well, you can spend a month with that question, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, maybe more. <laughs> yeah, so I did that. Uh, uh, and then after four and a half years, uh, I was kind of, I wouldn't say done, but uh, there was a moment where I felt like the momentum was gone a little bit. Mm -hmm. Also, the company was struggling, which is normal for that company because it's always uh, on, uh, on a wave, uh, mm -hmm. I would say. It was struggling. So it was just time for me to go and to get out of that pattern world uh, because that can be uh, intoxicating also. Only making patterns. I wanted to do... Uh, lettering again because I'm also a typographer mm -hmm. I wanted to get into that again so uh, after four and a half years I went to myself with a lot of knowledge about you, you name it uh, and then worked for myself again and and I'm really hesitant if people if clients want patterns from me yeah, I'm actually that. hesitant there should be a really good reason. If somebody just says, yeah, we want to make a... A, a gift. Uh, gift uh, yeah, role. or something, you know, for on a website. I'm like, nah. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not giving you my... Yeah, I had my share of patterns, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm, I'm saving that energy. Well, but I think you gave more than enough already <laughs> for the patterns. Yeah, that's true. I made like 35 patterns in uh, four and a half years. So, um, well, I don't know if this uh, this is of your interest, but I found the other month or two or three, whatever, an interesting Wikipedia sub Wikipedia called the Knot Atlas. Oh, no, I don't know. It's it. basically uh, so you have all these kind of knots uh, oh, to make yeah. knots, uh -huh. but it's also scientific. So it's like principle of how things become knots. And yeah, uh, what's it called? Um, there is a name for it, but I don't remember. It's a it's a, a, a math. Uh, oh, I'm not. No, I, but I know what you mean. Yeah, you have to when you study an object, you have to know where the holes are and where things are sticking through, and that makes it different from other objects. Um, God, what is that called? It's such a fascinating, Science. fascinating uh, thing. Yeah. Well, on this Wikipedia, I obviously cannot read the math, even though I find it beautiful visually, uh -huh. all these equations. But what I found really interesting are these not icons that represent the amount of uh, more time the, the yeah. wire pass on top of each other. There's all kind of notion on how things should uh, intervene. And uh -huh. then you have this you know, page of hundreds of knots, all different and very interesting. And then there is one which has a warning sign because it is apparently a very difficult one, which was uh, like a scientist spent uh, 10 years and trying to figure out something with Jesus, this knot. And really? there's like another subpage for this <laughs> knot. It's a very intriguing, fascinating thing. Wow. It's obviously not in your daily life, but visually it brings or it creates all kind of intriguing patterns. In patterns, no, yeah. shapes. <laughs> shapes, yeah, 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 fantastic. Yeah. I uh, send it to you, the Knot Atlas. It's, uh, wow. It's very, uh, yeah, it's... I love pictures with a warning sign. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an intriguing story for this one. It's, uh, but if you like also this kind of scientific, uh, the way science creates, uh, in a way, uh, things in life, like how do you... 
I discovered recently this thing called the uh, the game of life. I think. It's oh called. yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. It's like this self-generated. It's algorithm. Yeah, yeah. And I was really, uh, let's say, shocked by the capacities of that yeah, thing. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's absolutely. I get. Uh, I was in a rabbit hole with uh, that thing too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You have such weird solutions. It's also I don't know. I'm I'm. Do you know Minecraft? Yeah. It, it is impossible uh, to make moving objects in Minecraft, but it is possible because you can code it. So okay. there's there's actually like algorithms that you can use to uh, to make things move in. Uh, Minecraft just because you're breaking down and creating things in an algorithm and it also behaves like uh, the game of life you can also mm. you can you uh, I really love these things like Minecraft because they're, they're, the, the, the base idea is so simple that you can use it to make a computer or you can uh, uh, make these things but to make something move in Minecraft is very similar to to yeah. how game of life uh, uh, works so the same sort of uh, I wouldn't say the same algorithm, but the same sort of mindset is used to to do that, and it can also create weirdly interesting shapes and 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 things. Uh, there is a story which I like very much, but I don't know if it's a, it's a, a myth or not. Do you know the game Tron? Do you know the movie Tron? Yeah, the old, the one from the nineties yeah. or eighties. Eighties uh, even, yeah. yeah. Do you know this this part where they're riding these bicycles? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was uh, that was a very popular game, and it evolved into Snake later on on yeah, the Nokia. Yeah, it's yeah. The same. But that there's a, a myth about, and I love that uh, thing, is that you could program that yourself because it, in, in the you know in the 80s people would have a Commodore 64 mm -hmm. and start programming. So people started programming Tron, uh, uh, you know how to yeah. make this little game. And there is this myth where two guys were either hacking into an existing game of Tron or uh, creating a game of Tron, where they actually. Uh, in the movie, there's this scene where the the motor just rides out of the arena, yeah, yeah. blasting a hole and rides out of the arena. That happened in real life in the computer thing where oh. a Tron uh, algorithm broke through his sort of arena and ate its way through the computer. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that is so fast. And then the way it's described, how it's uh, like plausible, uh, yeah, plausible yeah. I was like, my God, this is so intriguing that you have... You know, you have a movie and then you it's have... It's a bit like Matrix. Yeah, and then you, you, you create that sort of in real life. Uh, but I don't know if it's a myth or not. I don't know. It's uh, It feels really like the Matrix where you break the reality around you. <laughs> and you you, uh, yeah. you enter that sort of yeah world of codes, you know, numbers falling. And yeah. then you see the, not the reality, but let's say what your reality is supposed uh, to be made of. Only numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get some. Uh, I had some water. I have some water. Oops. Um, so you have quite an interest of uh, science, which is a. Uh, which is? Do you share that with your students? Do you share them your scientific? No, I try not too much, but uh, it, it always happens. Yeah. It's, uh, it, 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 communicates at the end yeah but uh i um any rabbit hole is fine could also be culturally i also really love cultural rabbit holes where you have a phenomenon and you dive into it and then there's always something interesting happening somewhere 
there's always like especially with the internet it's so easy to get into a niche where somebody yeah, yeah. is is doing something incredibly interesting with something super stupid <laughs> right yeah, yeah like the, i don't know i if i get into i'm let's say a, a, a kitchen mixers I've, I've never delved into that rabbit hole i'm sure there's somebody out there that does amazing thing with a kitchen mixer well <laughs> one of my um most surprising channel i'm following on youtube it's a guy busy is basically unclogging culvert what so culvert has these sort of big pipes that are under oh, the road fuck. yeah that's cool shit. that you know that's they supposedly to get the water out but sometimes they are clogged <laughs> and this guy is alone he's not paid he's doing that as a hobby oh fuck. so he drives in the forest in the new in the new york states so i don't know montana whatever and he films how he unclogs the culvert from the upper part to the bottom so you see the water flow getting better And that's, I think, the, the joy of it is this guy is doing so, sort of a cleaning type of job, but in nature. So That is fantastic. And he explains what he does. He explains why the beaver do this because they think, uh, or there is a specific rainstorm that brings this, this wood. Oh, that's and amazing. The, and the guy is, uh, he has a real community behind him. Yeah, they, yeah, of course. That is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So any rabbit hole will do. Yeah. It's not only science. It's also, and then, and that's I do I do uh, project on my students. Like, there's nothing much more rewarding than finding something that interests you and see how it can affect your work. Because, and it, this is what I tell them: they're like 20, and you're supposed to do this like 45 years. So please make it fun and not into <laughs> you know may, don't make it into a dreary uh if you if you really want to do minimalism please do minimalism but just do it because you like it right yeah. it, because if you want to do that for 45 years be on that same horse for 45 years you should learn how to inspire yourself or get inspired by things around you that is the thing that you should learn the rest just comes from that right yeah Well, that, I think, was a good closing words for the, I would say, all the students listening to the show. <laughs> well, well, thank you, uh, Michiel, for uh, passing by and having this very interesting chat. Yeah, it was, uh, I don't know, what do we, I have no idea what we talked about. <laughs> well, we talked about colors and you have a lot to say about it. And, uh, Which is good because uh, it's, okay. it's cool. you know, colors is a part of culture. It's uh, an element that we tend to take for granted, but it's not. And it's a constant sort of... Uh, it's in evolution also that you said we get yeah. new cones in our eyes. We, we are getting more used to certain uh, uh, nuances of color, new type of color. So, yeah, I mean, for me... It's very important uh, as for Oedipus and also for you. So it was really nice. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Thank you.